Anyone claiming that America's economy is in decline is peddling fiction. I've abandoned free market principles to save the free market system. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. Raising the debt ceiling does not increase our debt. It does not somehow promote profligacy. I know words. I have the best words. Nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. Hey, hey, what's going on, everybody? This is the Peddling Fiction Podcast, and I, of course, am your host, the voice and soul of so-called fiction, the one and only Johnny Propita, broadcasting once again deep behind enemy lines from an undisclosed bunker location, quarantined, going on week, I don't know, two or three of this uh, self-quarantine here. I think it's the second week since I uh, since I officially went under lockdown here, and um, it's been it's been interesting. <laughs> we are certainly in interesting times. To um, add insult to injury, the the people that live next to me, I don't know if they're dead or if they are one of those people that got trapped on a cruise ship for like over a month. Or they're just unbelievably stupid people. But there is something beeping in their condo. And it's been beeping for over a week now. It doesn't quite sound like the chirp that you get from a low battery detector, uh, low battery on a smoke detector. But uh, it's something similar to that. And I can actually hear it from my bedroom if everything's turned off and it's just quiet here and and it's it's sort of driving me insane i i, I tried going over there i knocked on their door the other day they didn't answer so i i'm assuming that they're either dead or not home i don't think anybody could live like that uh, under quarantine for 24 hours a day with a beeping noise and not address it i find that hard to believe but i get that i get to suffer through uh non-stop beeping in addition to uh, to this quarantine stuff. But other than that, you know, not much has changed from my day-to-day life. I think I mentioned that on the other uh, on the last episode because I work from home most of the time. I would only go into an office once a week. Um, of course, my, my stupid company made us go in. I had to go in for motor vehicle policy change training. Uh, they were changing something to the motor vehicle policy. I had to go in for training on that. That that was like two Wednesdays ago or something. Like they they definitely exposed me to the coronavirus to learn about a policy that I will never use ever in my entire life. So there's that. And then I went to the store the fr- Friday, like two Fridays ago, uh, just to to get a few supplies that I was low on. And, and other than that, I haven't left haven't left my place since then. That was the last time I've seen the outside world. And, um, you know, the weather here hasn't been great. It snowed the, the other day, kind of that wet, disgusting snow that, that nobody likes. And, uh, 
I don't know. Thank God we still have the internet. We haven't broken the internet yet because I don't know what I would do with myself. I was thinking a lot about the, I, just how dependent we are on everything and just how much we take things for granted. The internet, just, just streaming, Netflix and things like that. Like Even if this was to happen in like 2008, we didn't have like Netflix streaming back then. Netflix was sending you physical DVDs in the mail and they never had enough to go around. So you would like get put on a wait list. You'd have like a list of things that you wanted. And when they became available, they would send you one DVD in the mail and then you would get that and you would watch it for all you, you kids out there today that aren't old enough to remember this. You would watch that and then you would return that disc. And this was all via snail mail. This is using the United States Postal Service, so it would take forever. And then when, once they got that disc back, they would send you the next one on your queue, assuming it was available. And, I mean, that wasn't that long ago. That was like uh, Barack Obama presidency, the, the, the early days of that. And And now it's just like everything, streaming, and it's instantaneous, and... Nobody really knows how any of it works. And we, we just take for granted that it will work and continues to work. You, you flip a light switch and electricity comes on. You turn a knob and you have hot water. And if you've ever gone without any of these things for an extended period of time, it really makes you appreciate just how great a time we live in. And I, I, I know I've talked about this on the show before, and I don't want to repeat myself too much. But just to be able to go into a store, and I, I mean, I'll be the first one to admit that I never saw this whole coronavirus thing coming. And even once it was here, I, I still didn't give it uh, perhaps the respect that it deserved, it, it just in terms of the effect, maybe not even the, the virus itself, but just the, the effect that it would have on our daily lives to try to get it under control. But I know for a fact that this maybe a, a few months ago or maybe sometime last year, I was talking about just how incredible it is that we can go into a store and just have these things on the shelves that we all take for granted. Things that, you know, it, like if you were sick, you could go to a store and get some something right off the shelf that would save your life where 100 years ago you would probably die from that affliction. And we just take all this stuff for granted. And, and we're such an entitled society, especially my generation and younger. I, I'm sort of like the tail end of, of people that, that weren't just like a bunch of pampered, entitled pussies. But even even people my age are, are you know, teetering on that. I was probably the first generation. I mean, I'm part of that. I don't know who I'm kidding. I'm definitely part of that generation. I, I just had a, I think I had a good enough upbringing that... Um, I was able to avoid that that whole participation trophy thing that that is running rampant among today's youth. But we take all this stuff for granted and now that you know store shelves are 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 going empty because everyone's making a run on all these supplies, people are starting to realize how good we actually had it. And I, I, that's going to be the overarching theme in today's show. I'm going to talk about our entitlement culture. But first, you know, I, I just I, I've been obviously just sitting at home thinking about all these things and 
there, there's a lot of craziness going on. So I thought I'd, I'd give you some thoughts on all the, the political stuff that's been going on because we're still waiting for a deal. Now, hang on. Let me check something really quick because I haven't checked the news in a while. Yeah, it, it doesn't look like we've gotten a deal yet from Congress on the next uh, stimulus bailout package. They're still going back and forth. You know, we had some, we had some, um, some senators go down. Some Republican senators go down with the coronavirus. Rand Paul being one of them, being the only one that I really care about going down because he's probably the only one of maybe two people in Congress that would have actually made a, a coherent argument for not pursuing all of these crazy bailouts and all this economic stimulus that I've been talking about how detrimental they are to an economy on this show more times than I care to count. So if you if you are new to the show, welcome to the Peddling Fiction Podcast. And um, go back and listen to like the last 10 episodes while you're sitting around you know, during your quarantine, so you can get a catch up on all all the things we've been talking about. But Rand Paul's a big loss, and I I think he's probably one of the better, if not the best senator we have. Uh, definitely one of the better ones, and one of the only ones who will make a principled stand even when times are tough. And and those, I mean, for every one senator that will do that, there's like fifty that won't. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah, he went down. We lost a couple. I think there were like five altogether. I don't remember all their names. Some of them I'd never heard of. But right before this vote this past weekend, they lost five senators, and that really tipped the scales, and they couldn't get uh, the, the stimulus package done. And, and then the, Nancy Pelosi was working on her own version of it, and the Democrats have just, I, I mean, they are so fucking crazy. It's unbelievable the the level of just craziness that they they will go to like they they were throwing stuff all this diversity shit in this bill like they're so that you know I always talk about how you never let a crisis go to waste right well they've they've got the the Republicans sort of over a barrel right and there's going to be trillions of dollars spent and they want to make sure that when they dole out all of this money that they're stealing from us and they're stealing from companies in the first place. They want to know that when they dole it out, that it, it comes with strings attached and that they get what they want out of this. And that's how all of this political crap works. This is, this is why it's so stupid that the states don't collect the taxes and then give them to the federal government so the states could maintain some power. The, the states give all their money, uh, lose, lose out on all that money. It all goes to the feds first, and then the, they, they have to beg the federal government to get some of that money back, and it comes with str all these strings attached. Well, they're doing the same thing to companies now, and they're going to make sure that if you get a, a stimulus money or you get bailed out, that you have the, the right diversity ratios and you have uh, diverse people on your board and they're going to tell you who you, can, who you have to hire, how many of them you have to hire. They have to be on your board. You probably are going to have to have some sort of government representative now on some of these boards. And like I mentioned on the last episode, this is, this is getting to be not only ridiculous but just scary that th this is their backdoor way into sort of taking over 
the means of production. And there's all sorts of ridiculous stuff that Pelosi was cramming into this bill. 1,400 pages, by the way. 1,400-page bill. Like, nobody can read that. Even if you're at home quarantined, you don't have enough time to read that shit. And nobody is reading these bills. So God only knows what kind of crap they're, they're throwing in there. And then, of course, there's never any time to, to sit back and read the bill and, and discuss these things. We have to do it right now, right? So like she famously said and I th- at the top of the show, you know, we have to pass the bill so that you can find out what is in it. And Rand Paul, to his credit, was, you know, he put forth that read the bill act. Okay, this is how ridiculous this whole system is, this whole system of government that we're not allowed to question, that everybody just takes as gospel. He, he put forth a read the bill act, which said, like, you can't have these thousand-page bills that, that are just way too long, that cram in a bunch of unrelated stuff. Like, she had uh, solar energy tax credits and um, a bunch of union, a bunch of... Um, organized labor protections and stuff like that for government workers who shouldn't be unionized in the first place. There, there's an episode from the Peddling Fiction podcast where I deal with that. But the, all this unrelated stuff that they cram into these bills. And Rand Paul just put forth a bill that said, okay, you can't do that anymore. A, a bill is going to cover one topic. That's it. And then it can't be thousands of pages long. And everybody has to read it before we vote on this thing. And guess what? didn't pass not interested we're not interested in that that that, that's how ridiculous this whole system is but for some reason uh somebody that like me that thinks we should throw this whole thing out get rid of this entire government apparatus i'm the crazy one (laughs) i'm the crazy one uh they only want to read the shit that they're passing they don't know what the hell's in it um so you you got them going back and forth with, with the republicans they say they're close to a deal now and, you know, there's nothing worse than a bipartisan agreement. I don't care what anybody says. The, like, the media tries to tell you this, and, and politicians always brag about how they were able to reach across the aisle, and I can work with the other side to get things done. Well, here's the thing. When you have a bipartisan agreement, all that means is that you're getting fucked from both sides. You're taking it in both ends. You're getting pig-roasted by the federal government, and you're getting the worst of both worlds, okay? You're getting everything that the neocons want and everything that the socialist Democrats want, all crammed into one. You're taking it from both ends. It's the worst of both worlds. You should ne- When you hear bipartisan, you should fucking run for the hills. It's going to be a disaster. And, of course, that's what we're going to get. Anyway... <laughs> I've also been seeing a lot of things on on Twitter and and Facebook and people talking about how, and and they're never actually making an argument, they're just making an assertion that this whole coronavirus thing just proves that libertarianism is dead, that libertarianism has failed, and that it's just this whole unworkable thing because coronavirus— they, they don't put forth an argument. They just assert that that's the case, and I just don't understand why. I mean, these are, these are some of the dumbest people I've ever encountered. To, to look around, understand what's been going on for the last month or two, or even if you go back to China since November, maybe even October, 
to look around at all of the failures of government on every single level. And I did an entire episode on this last week on Friday uh, about our, our government failures, just complete and utter disasters. To look at all of that and conclude that, oh, obviously libertarianism failed is just unbelievable to me. I, I don't understand how anybody could conclude that. I mean, it started in China, a communist country. You had an authoritarian government who was silencing the whistleblowers, these doctors who, in a libertarian society, wouldn't think twice about blowing this whistle, about ringing that bell, letting everybody know that, hey, you know, this thing could get crazy. We need to nip this in the bud. But they're being silenced by an authoritarian government that literally allows it to spread around the entire world because it spreads around that country. And then you have Asian tourists who flock like seagulls to a, to a piece of food that they see on the ground to Italy, to, to Spain. They're everywhere, everywhere taking their pictures, millions of them cramming up every single attraction you want to go to. They're everywhere. Uh, okay. Yeah. This is a failure of libertarianism. Uh, somebody was talking about how they have these like unregulated or these lawless food markets in China. It, it, oh, okay. Yeah, but are they lawless or are they operating against the laws in China? Because I guarantee you China has laws against it, and this is just black market food stuff going on from people who are living in abject poverty. Right. So uh, one thing, it, it shows you how inept the laws are because you just create black markets when you ban stuff. Right. So even if you have this government society with all these laws, that's no guarantee that something like this won't happen. And then on the other hand, why are they living in abject poverty? Well, I would argue because they're under a, a communist authoritarian government that won't allow free market enterprise to take over and pull them out of that poverty the way it has done for millions and billions of other people. Anyway, um, <laughs> that, that sort of stuff really grinds my gears. Uh, just more retarded arguments from statists. But, um, and then, you know, like I said, I did the whole episode uh, on just like the CDC and the FDA screwing everything up uh, on our end. Uh, this is somehow a failure of libertarianism. That all these government entities that that like that the CDC is the Center for Disease Control, and then you have Donald Trump and uh, and like the all these doc the, these government officials that work at these agencies coming out and doing these press conferences talking about how well our system wasn't designed to prevent this or to deal with this. We've had to like retool the whole system in order to deal with with something like this. And it's just, it, it's really unbelievable to sit there and, and just think, okay, so the, the Center for Disease Control was not prepared to control diseases. Oh, okay, let me write that one down. I mean, I'm not shocked, but th th these are people that, that throw all of their faith in these government institutions. I mean, to me, that just proves my universal law that all of these government titles, they're always the opposite of, of what they say they are. It, it applies to government agencies and it applies to the names of the legislation. Oh my God, I got to pull up the, the name of the Nancy Pelosi legislation too. Well, I'm mad at it. Remind me to do that. 
Um, but, you know, the Center for Disease Control, okay, can't control diseases. You've got the Department of Defense, which is really the Department of Offense. You've got the Department of Education, which is really the Department of Indoctrination. I mean, I could go on and on and on. Whatever their stated name is, it, the, the opposite of that name is what they accomplish. The, the Patriot Act, the least uh, patriotic piece of legislation known to man. Even the names of like their uh, operations, their their war opera operation Iraqi freedom <laughs> and things like that. It's just like, okay, so they're not getting any freedom over there, guaranteed. Uh, that that is my universal law of government titles. For those of you not familiar with the show, I I probably talk about those a lot. And by the way, what do any like the what does anything the CDC do? What do they do in response to this crisis? Oh, uh, their their entire objective is to uh, cancel all the rules and regulations they put in place that are hampering anybody's ability to try to deal with this crisis. So yeah, th- this is this is such a failure of libertarianism. I I can't believe it. It's just so obvious, right? We have this Center for Disease Control that can't control diseases, and then their response to to the whole crisis is to undo everything that they did in the first place. That's just making everything worse. Anyway, they're they're arguing back and forth. They're playing the politics game, trying to uh, come up. Uh, you know, you never thought it would be so hard to just spend trillions of dollars that, of money that you're creating out of thin air. But you know, leave it to leave it to these idiots in Congress to to have trouble doing that, to not be able to accomplish even that. Not that I want them to, but you know, <laughs> they can't even do that. They can't even just spend money without it being this whole fucking ordeal. They're just such a group of unimpressive people. Of, of 320 million Americans, that this is the best we can do. Th- this is the, the best system, and these are the best people. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, Donald Trump. Oh, my God. They're just, I've never seen a group of less impressive people, and they just keep getting worse and worse. And when you think about the founding fathers of how wise they actually were. And they were young. These guys were like in their 20s. And there was only like a few million people in the country back then. They were so much smarter and so much wiser than anybody in politics right now. And they had such a shallower pool of people to draw from. It's incredible to me. It's incredible to me how how far we've drifted. (laughs) Just... I guess you could thank the Department of Education for that. Um, but, you know, they're arguing over these these uh, stimulus uh, bills and these bailouts. And, the you know, the Democrats think that the Republicans are treating corporations too, like giving them too much and the banks. And they want it to be more pro-worker. And so they want to give, you know, money directly to the people. And, <laughs> I mean... I know I've talked, and I don't want to repeat myself too much on this show because you know I, I we're all kind of probably at our wits' end with this coronavirus stuff, and you know I, I think I've made a pretty strong case for why these bailouts and these uh, stimulus packages are not a good idea. I guess the the only things that I would personally support right now would be tax relief, like if you stop. Um, taking money for out of people's paychecks, and um, obviously I would support that. And then you let them dip into their 
retirement savings accounts without a tax penalty, like a 401k. I mean, that just seems obvious to me. Uh, you know, all of this stuff that's related to taxes, just stop doing it. Let us, how about you let us access the money that we've earned and that we've saved over time without penalizing us with ridiculous uh, uh, penalties, just unbelievably punitive penalties for, for accessing our money when we need it and stop taking the money from us in the first place, maybe uh, we wouldn't have all these people that can't last a week, can't last two weeks without a paycheck if you stop taking thousands of dollars out of their paycheck every week. Yeah, how, how about that? The problem is you have to also stop spending money if you're the government. You can't, I mean, if, if they're going to keep spending $4.5 trillion and then they're not going to take in any tax revenue, well, we're just going to have a, a huge a deficit and they're just going to be printing more and more money and that's just going to cause inflation which is just another form of taxation that hits the the poorest people among us the hardest but it really is just unbelievable and this is you know where i'm sympath uh sympathetic with the bernie bros of the world where you just kind of look around and not not only did they bail out all these companies and corporations and and the banks and everything like that in 2008 and then they proceeded to give themselves huge bonuses. And I mean, everybody knows that story. Uh, the, the crazy thing, the most insane thing is that people think that all worked and that's what we need to do now, even though that's doing that is what put us in the position that we are in today. But you look at the way that just average Americans get treated versus these corporations, these uh, these big banks, all these politically connected entities that have the the lobbyist in working in their favor, right? It's like okay, well, they're they're, they're I mean, they're talking about giving them uh, just giving them straight up money that they don't have to pay back. They're gonna give them uh, like guaranteed loans and and all this stuff, and it's just like okay, here's a bunch of you know, here's a trillion dollars free. We're just gonna throw it into Wall Street, uh, what, trillion and a half, four trillion now. Now the Fed's doing QE unlimited, unlimited QE for all of these big banks and everybody on Wall Street to play around with. You know, guaranteed money that they don't have to pay back for all these businesses and corporations. And then what do we get? What are the individual taxpayers that are ultimately on the hook for all of this who are going to have to pay back all of this government profligacy and then some? Well, you know, we're going to push back your taxes like two months. So, yeah, they were doing April 15th. Don't worry about paying me till July. How about that? You're still going to have to pay me the exact same amount. You just get a couple more months of not having to do it. And then here's like a thousand bucks for some of you. Uh, oh, Okay. I mean, we don't have the final numbers on any of this stuff yet, but I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And it really shows you what they think of the average American, doesn't it? And that, and that's not like the Democrats actually care more about the average American. No, they, they care about their political agenda. I mean, just look at the stuff that they're trying to cram into this bill. It's basically the uh, backdoor into the Green New Deal. Uh, all this crap, all their political uh, talking points, platitudes, everything on their platform, they're cramming those policies into these bills. It, it's got nothing to do with the average American person. They're, they're trying to get their agenda passed uh, by sneaking it into a 1,400-page bill. It's all just despicable. And, it, and the other thing is, you know, none of this is going to help. This just makes the problem worse. 
And, uh, you know, I, I might get into that a little later just to reiterate some points, but I have, I think, hopefully you guys all understand that by now. Um, and, yeah, I mean, the only really um, relief that I think people should be getting is tax relief, is eliminating the, the payroll taxes, letting people use their savings. And, you know, I've heard all of these um, comparisons to World War II, and I, I mentioned this briefly at, at the end of the last episode, but they were talking about this in the debate with uh, Biden and, and uh, Bernie about how this is our World War II and, uh, you know, we need to come together to fight this and like we did with World War II. Something that's kind of interesting is that the reason we have withholding, the reason why you, you, you get taxes taken out of your paycheck before you even get to see the money is because of World War II. That's where the withholding tax came from. They, they took advantage of that crisis back then so that they could get their hands on that money before it even went to you, before you even got to touch it. You think in a million years they would have been able to pass that in peacetime during a time of prosperity? Of course not. Of course not. Who would go for that? Who would be like, yeah, you know, you're going to get this paycheck, but you're not going to get all of it. We're going to take our portion uh, on the front end before you even get to touch it. And, and you're essentially going to give us, we're going to take too much. We're going to take more than we actually should have. And we're just, you're just going to give us an interest-free loan for a year. And then when you file your taxes, we'll give, it, we'll give you that money back. That we, we <laughs> It's absolutely insane. Nobody would have gone for this if we weren't in a crisis and they couldn't make the argument where it's like, hey, you know, we, we have all these people going off to war. They're fighting and dying to save the country. The least you could do is support the troops, right, through this, through this tax, through this payroll tax. This is the, the most efficient way for us to support the troops and blah, 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 blah. And there you go. Lo and behold, everybody wants to be patriotic. Nobody wants to be anti-World War II, anti-troops. So, okay, we'll go for it. And just like everything with government, the, the, uh, the war ends, right? The troops come home, but the withholding tax, that's here forever. Once they take something away from you, you don't get it back. You don't get it back. And once they create a government entity, any bureaucracy, anything like that, those don't go away either. Those are here to stay. The problem, the initial problem that they used as the excuse for creating it, that goes away. The war ends. The troops come home. The problem goes away. Maybe the problem goes away. But the government, that stays. That stays. And the government policy of fleecing you to deal with that problem, that's going to stay as well. There's nothing so permanent as a government bureaucracy. It really is unbelievable. And, I mean, these comparisons to World War II are absolutely ridiculous, okay? Um, and you know, I thought AOC, you know, last year AOC was telling us that climate change was our World War II. So I guess we're, similar to World War II, we're fighting a, a two-front war. And this is a, a two-front war against two invisible enemies that nobody can see, climate change and uh, the coronavirus, right? But just to put things into perspective, right, for World War II, I mean, if we're going to compare what we have to go through now with what the people had to go through back then, I mean, now, what are we, what are we doing, right? We're under, okay, self-quarantine, 
you know, shelter in place. You get to sit around on your fat ass and watch Netflix for a few weeks, waiting around for a, the inevitable government check to come in the mail, right? The, Joe Biden said everybody is going to be made whole, which is complete bullshit. But, you know, everything, you know, don't worry. You're not going to have to sacrifice anything. You won't have to worry about any of that. You know, we're going to, don't worry about paying your mortgage. Don't worry about paying your rent. That there's, we're going to send you some cash. Don't worry. Nobody has to sacrifice anything. That's the message to us now. Uh oh, poor us. We have to sit around and watch TV and wait for a check to come in the mail. I mean, that is the exact opposite of what we were, what our approach was in World War II. I mean, World War II, people were fucking drafted into slavery into the worst form of slavery. I know nobody likes to think about it like this, but what else is a draft? It's slavery. It's slavery where you get to go be cannon fodder in some overseas conflict, right? 16 million young American men were pulled from the workforce. I mean, if you think what's going on now is bad, where we have to shut down uh, businesses and cities temporarily, 16 million men, young working age men, were pulled from the workforce and sent off to go die in Europe and in Japan. And like 420,000 of them did die. Okay? And yes, it's sad when somebody in their 70s or 80s passes away. I mean, my parents are getting older, and I, I worry about them every day, especially now with, with you know their prime candidates for this coronavirus thing. I worry about them more than they do. I was just talking to my mom earlier today, and I mean, it's pretty obvious she would rather die of coronavirus than be confined to her house any longer. <laughs> I mean, I think when you get to be that age, you just get this attitude where it's like, you know, fuck it. I, I've lived my life. It, it's been good. I'm going to live my life. I'm not going to I'm not going to do anything that I don't want to do anymore at this point, because how much time do I really have left? I mean, let's be honest, if you make it to 80 chances are you're not going to see 90. I mean, that's just the reality of it, regardless of whether or not there's a coronavirus. I mean, if you're in your 80s, I don't know exactly how much time you have left, but it's not much. It's not much. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. But if you've made it to 80, you've lived a really long, full life. We should all aspire to that. And yeah, I mean, making it to 90 would be even more incredible. But what happened in World War II were millions of young men in their 20s, some of them even teenagers, their life hadn't even begun yet. Their life hadn't even begun yet, and they have to go die for their government. And there was a tremendous amount of sacrifices being made all around, okay? They, the, the FDR didn't come out and say, Oh, don't worry. Everyone's going to be made whole. You, your taxes won't increase. In fact, we're going to bail everybody out. We're going to give you some stimulus checks in the mail. No, no. Nothing like that. Nobody got bailouts. No companies got bailed out. No stimulus checks went out. You know, there was no tax relief. Taxes went up threefold. In 1941, when the conflict broke out, 3% of the American people paid the income tax, okay? And it was a very low rate. If you haven't gone listen to my uh, brief history on the income tax, you should go back and do that. It's not as boring as it sounds, I promise. But 
1941, 3% of the people paid the income tax, and it was capped at like 7%, okay? 7%. In 1942, 30% of people paid it, and the rates tripled, okay? So taxes went up on everybody, poor, middle class, and the rich, and they went up a ton, a ton. They didn't get tax relief. They, they didn't get their taxes pushed back into the future. No, no. They, they, everything increased, and they borrowed the equivalent of trillions of dollars from Americans who used their savings to buy war bonds. That was how they funded the war, from the savings of Americans. Americans loaned their hard-earned saved money to the government. They didn't just create money out of thin air. They couldn't. We were on a gold standard back then. So, I mean, there was a tremendous amount of sacrifice that took place, not to mention like 80 million people died worldwide, something like that. But people were really sacrificing, and they were not made whole. They didn't go out to eat. They weren't spending money. They weren't stockpiling goods. Everybody was rationing things because those materials were needed for the war effort. I mean, yeah, we're locking down cities now, and we can't go outside for a few weeks. Uh, okay, they had entire cities destroyed, reduced to rubble. Just civilians getting bombed day and night. I mean, these comparisons are ridiculous. It just shows you how coddled we are as a society now, that we're, we're so starved for real problems that the, the second something comes along, it's, it's the end of the, oh, this is the worst thing ever. Uh, a little historical perspective, please. The one thing I will say is that even though World War II was much worse than what we're going through now, we were far more prepared for something like that back then, at, at both as a government as and as a people, than we are for something like what we're going through now. Because, I mean, uh, our economy back then was fundamentally sound. We had savings. We didn't have astronomical government debt. We had a viable economy where we produced things. I mean, we don't have that now. Uh, we were the biggest creditor nation back then. Now we're the biggest debtor nation. I mean, how can the... Just think about this for two seconds. Because now we're talking about bailing everybody out, right? And nobody's going to have to sacrifice. How does the biggest debtor nation, the most indebted country in the history of the world, how are they going to bail everybody out? I mean, who's going to do the bailing? Uh, companies didn't get bailouts from the government in World War II. It wouldn't have even occurred to people to look to the government to bail them out. And they had just come out of the Great Depression, I mean, during the Great Depression, right before the war, that's when the very first uh, welfare-type programs were introduced. They were called relief programs, okay? And people were ashamed to take it. They were ashamed to put their hand out and take money from the government. Some of them even paid it back after they started working again. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine someone today not only resisting the handout from the government in the first place, it, like waiting until you are in deep, dire straits. Like this is a last resort. It's either this or death. And so you take it. But then a, a few years later, once you get back on your feet, you pay the money back. Anybody on the planet Earth willing to do that today? 
I mean, I don't think so. I mean, people will start rioting now. They'll start rioting in America if their welfare checks are like a few days late. Remember seeing those videos a few years ago? Uh, people looting because they didn't get their welfare checks. I mean, that's why they're giving uh, all these plebs their uh, their bullshit fiat money back. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Just don't riot in the streets. Here's a couple grand to hold you over. Keep you all, all you entitled, spoiled little babies from throwing massive temper tantrums because, you know, we've all overextended ourselves and we haven't saved anything. And now you can't afford your new iPhone payments. Oh, we don't want you rioting. So here, here, take, take some of this, uh, this worthless money that we can just create out of thin air. That's why they're doing it. Think about what it was like to live back during the Great Depression and have nothing. Have nothing. I mean, they were happy if they had a roof over their heads, running water, and electricity. And they were paying back their welfare. They're paying back their welfare because they, they were ashamed that they had to take it in the first place because they knew where it was coming from and they knew they hadn't earned it. And not only did we have a, a savings back then and a fundamentally sound economy that wasn't based on debt and consumption, we had a sense of personal responsibility that is completely lost on the vast majority of people today. And it, it really is just, it's, it's sad, it's sickening, it's uh, infuriating. Uh, it's all those things because, like I said at the top of the show, we take this all for granted. Electricity, internet, stream, all these modern-day amenities. Uh, our, your grandparents, if, if you're probably my age, your grandparents didn't have any of this stuff. They had much harder lives, and they actually had to sacrifice things. They, they didn't get to live beyond their means for 30, 40, 50 years and not have to face any of the repercussions. We've been living beyond our means on every level for generations. The federal government, state and local governments, individuals. Individuals are in debt up to their eyeballs. Credit card debt, mortgage debt, student loans, auto loans. Do you realize that the amount of outstanding credit card debt, just the credit card debt, is almost as much as the entire national debt when I was born? I think the national debt was about $1.5 trillion in 1984. That was the year I was born, okay? National credit card debt is over a trillion dollars. It's closing in on $1.1 trillion. Student loan debt, student loan debt alone is $1.6 trillion, more than the entire national debt of the country the year I was born. Okay, those two things, we've got almost $3 trillion of outstanding personal debt, just credit cards and student loans. And then you have auto loans, you have mortgage debt. And then on top of that, every state and local government is bankrupt. Uh, Chicago's going to need a, a bailout. New York is already asking for a bailout. California's going to need a bailout. All of these, uh, you know, uh, Michigan, uh, Detroit, all of these uh, state and local governments have overextended themselves, didn't save for a rainy day. When times were good, they spent like a drunken sailor, like times would always be good. Now they're going to need a bailout from the federal government. All these companies need bailouts from the federal government. Individuals need bailouts from the federal government. The federal government needs a bailout. They're $23 trillion in debt, hundreds of trillions in unfunded liabilities. Who is going to do the bailing? Remember, 
the one lesson I asked you to remember on last week's show was that the government doesn't support the people. The people support the government. If the people are broke, the government's broke. We've been living lives that none of us have earned, okay? And we have been living beyond our means for way too long, way too long. This whole thing has gotten out of control, and it should have been obvious to anybody really paying attention. And it's long past time that we all get taken down a peg or two. I mean, you can't do that forever. You just can't. And a lot of people are going to learn that the hard way, unfortunately. I mean, if you look around society, I mean, just look at what we were doing just a few months ago. Think just back like six months ago, what our biggest problems in society were, right? I mean, the writing on the wall, the writing was on the wall that there was a big reset coming. And it, it makes you wonder, you know, that episode I did on the fourth turning at the end of the year or the beginning of this year. You should go back and listen to that because things are starting to line up with the, the fourth turning math pretty quickly here. But how much more ridiculous and, and more privileged to use a word from the left, to borrow one of their words, could we get? I mean, we ran out of real problems so long ago that we had to start inventing shit to complain about. We're sitting here arguing about transgender rights and bathrooms and transitioning kids, and we're having tranny story times and giving kids hormones and then microaggressions and safe spaces, all this crap. I mean, we reach peak privilege. We maxed out. I mean, Jesus Christ, these kids today are the most pampered bunch of pussies to ever walk the face of the earth. Look at what everyone stocks up on when they think there's a national crisis. They buy a bunch of toilet paper. The world's going to end, and we're such a bunch of pampered pussies that the biggest concern we have is not being able to wipe our ass with some fluffy paper. I mean, okay. <laughs> Say what you That's a luxury item. I don't know what to tell you. It, it reminds me of that. Um, I, I forget who said it, but it, it's something along the lines of, you know, hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. There's just so much truth to that. And times were good for so long for us, especially my generation, the, the participation trophy generation, that, that we have created very, very weak men. I, I can't imagine a weaker society than toxic masculinity. There's another one. I got, you know, oh God, it, it, it's unbelievable. And so now you've got people who have been working for five, 10, 20, even 30 years. We've been living beyond our means for so long. Times were so good that we never thought anything bad would go wrong. The good times would just keep on rolling, and they've saved nothing. I mean, you've been in the workforce 10, 20, 30 years. You've saved nothing? You don't have two weeks worth of savings to tide you over? And, of course, it's because they were thinking that they were entitled to something from somebody else should anything ever go bad. I mean, how many people that are living paycheck to paycheck? I know this is going to... You know, this is going to rub some people the wrong way, but this is the, this is reality. Okay. This is going to come across kind of harsh. It's not my intention. My intention is not to sugarcoat things, to tell people the truth and, and help them better their situation. 
and, and you're not going to you're not going to learn your lesson. You're not going to be in a better situation the next time something goes wrong if everybody sugarcoats it and nobody tells you the truth. So how many people were living paycheck to paycheck but have borrowed money to buy a new car? How many people living paycheck to paycheck always have that new iPhone? Maybe they couldn't even buy the iPhone all at once, and they're on a monthly payment plan for that. How many people have been going on vacation every year, borrowing to go on vacation? Maybe they took out a second mortgage to redo their kitchen or upgrade their bathroom with some fancy granite countertops and a walk-in shower. How many people living paycheck to paycheck are buying new clothes every year, new shoes constantly? They have electronics, uh, high-definition high smart TVs. They've got Netflix, Amazon, Disney, Hulu, Spotify subscriptions. Uh, they're passing up on the commercials, paying an extra few bucks a month. How many of them are going out to eat, dropping a couple hundred bucks on a, on a dinner tab or uh, you know, every weekend or on a bar tab? How many people living paycheck to paycheck are going out, you know, partying two, three nights a week, getting hammered? hanging out with friends, watching sports, spending their weekends, you know, they're too hungover to move instead of working on bettering their financial situation. I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I want you to have fun. You know, there's nothing wrong with going out and having some fun with friends. But if you're, if you're one of these people that are making minimum wage or close to minimum wage or you're at a, a dead-end job that, that you don't like, well, maybe you should be taking some of that time to put yourself in a better situation, to set yourself up for the long haul. It's like my old man used to always say, it's fun to have fun, but you have to know how. I mean, how many were overextending themselves just to, just to keep up with the Joneses? And I'm not, just, I, I'm not just talking about poor people, okay? I'm not just talking about people making the minimum wage or people making, you know, 40, 50 grand a year something like that. There are plenty of people, tons of people that are making six figures, maybe even millions of dollars, but they haven't saved anything either. They just constantly adjust their paycheck to paycheck lifestyle to meet whatever amount is written on those paychecks. Okay, so if they're, you know, if they're living paycheck to paycheck at $50,000 and they get a raise, they're making $70,000, well, they're still living paycheck to paycheck. They're, they're just buying more stuff. They're having a better time. They're not saving anything. They're making more money, but they're spending it all. And they just continue to do that as they make more and more money. There are tons of people who make millions of dollars a year who have a ton of income, but they don't have any wealth because they haven't saved anything. And that's the crux of the matter. Real wealth is measured in time. It's not measured in income. How much time would you have without any money coming in before you would have to adjust your standard of living. That's what real wealth is. How much do you have saved up so that you could fund your current lifestyle without any new money coming in? Is it six months? Is it a year? How much have you saved? You got a month, a month of savings, a week, a day, whatever that number is. That's how wealthy you are, and income has nothing to do with it. And we have people in this country that had literally nothing saved. On day one of this ordeal, they were screwed. They were absolutely screwed. Why? 
Why haven't they saved anything? I mean, I don't care if you make the minimum wage. If you're making seven bucks an hour, then you then you live off of six or six dollars and thirty cents. You you save ten ten percent of whatever you're earning and you keep that for yourself. That's the way to think about it. You're keeping that money for yourself. The rest of it goes to, you know, other companies to to get your food, to get your clothing, to pay your rent. Okay, but you keep 10% for yourself, and you don't go blow it on something right away. It's not going to buy you much right away anyways. If you're, making, if you're not making a lot of money, 10% of it is not going to buy you much anyway. What are you going to get? What are you going to get, an extra meal a, a week, uh, a new pair of shoes every month? Who cares? Who cares? Save the 10%. If you save it and you do it consistently and you do it long enough, if you live within your means and you save, pretty soon you'll have enough saved up where you can put that money to work for you. That's how you get wealthy. You enslave your wealth. You take that savings and you send it out into the economy to work for you. You send it out into the world and it earns. And it brings back additional earnings with which you can do the same. And that's how you grow the nest egg. That's how you acquire wealth. And then one day, you'll be able to buy everything that you could have bought with that earlier 10% of your paycheck and then some. Instead of one nice meal a week, you could eat out every day if you wanted to because you grew your wealth and you have streams of income coming in now as a result. And if disaster strikes, God forbid, something bad happens, you can call upon those savings. You can draw on those saved resources to weather the storm. But you see, nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to delay that gratification. Nobody wants to live within their means. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to pay the cost of saving for a rainy day because you can't spend and save the same money. If you want to build a real economy, if you want to build your wealth, you have to save. Because look, I mean, bad things happen. It's easy to predict that. It's Mur- Murphy has a law, okay? Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. It's going to rain at some point. That's why you save for a rainy day. And sometimes when it rains, it pours. You get multiple multifaceted problems and things are really bad. You have to prepare for that. You don't pretend that nothing bad is ever going to happen and leverage yourself up to your eyeballs and then bury your head in the sand. But that's what we did. That's what our government did. That's what individuals did on every single level and every single facet of life. And why? Well, because everybody wants to live that life that they haven't earned yet because they think they're entitled to it. Everybody thinks they're entitled to stuff that the rest of the world owes them a living. Let me tell you something, and this is, like I said, going to come off kind of harsh, maybe insensitive, but I I don't care. It's the absolute truth. You are entitled to nothing. Nothing from me, nothing from your neighbor, nothing from your government, but alas, I repeat myself because that's a distinction without a difference. If you want something If you want the next cool iPhone or a new car or a fancy vacation or better kitchen, whatever, whatever it may be, you have to go out and you have to earn it. You have to work for it. You have to save. Be worthy of the life that you want to live by creating enough value to society. 
and stop looking toward other people who may have achieved more than you or who may have more money than you or more stuff. Maybe they didn't even earn it. Maybe it was just given to them. Maybe they were members of the Lucky Sperm Club. So what? That's life. Okay, that's life. Them having more stuff, them having more than you, doesn't stop you from getting what you want out of life. That's just a bunch of bull that the politicians pander to you so that they can get your vote and they can get you dependent on them and control your life. Income inequality is at, at, at its core is not an issue. The only issue, the only thing stopping you from earning what you want in life is you and the decisions you make. Now, income inequality would be far less great if we didn't have a Federal Reserve. That, no doubt that this zero interest rate policy is contributing a lot to that, but it still doesn't affect your ability to earn. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we are, like this, we are in a depression right now. Okay, when we look back at this time period, I think that's what this will be. Now, technically, we're not in it yet, but I bet you it started, and, and that's sort of the way these things have to be measured. You have to wait for them to play out, and then you, you look back, and you're like, oh, yeah, the depression started back then. Okay? But it's not because of the virus, as I've explained ad nauseum on this show. It certainly didn't help matters. But it's because we've lived beyond our means on unthinkable levels, just piling up insurmountable debt because nobody wanted the party to end. And when you live beyond your means, at some point, you are guaranteed to live below your means. And believe me, that time is coming. That's why borrowing to consume, this entire message that government promulgates, and in the worst case, that they lead by example, it's such an evil idea. It destroys economies. It destroys countries. Because you're consuming your future earnings today. You're taking resources from tomorrow, using them up today, without generating any new capacity to create in the future. You're just using stuff up. Just like those people living paycheck to paycheck. That is a guaranteed way to stay in poverty. And when tomorrow comes and there's nothing there, well, that's when you have to change from living above your means to living below them. And it's time that we pay the piper for all the bills that we've been racking up as a country. Now, did we get left holding the bag to some degree? It's my generation, uh, kids younger than me? Absolutely. Absolutely, but just because a past generation saddled us with a mess, saddled us with a bunch of debt, doesn't mean that we have the right to do that same thing to the generations to come. And if you find yourself in a tight spot right now, maybe you didn't prepare for our current situation, maybe you haven't saved as much as you should, maybe you're not making as much as you want, learn from your mistakes. Make better decisions. And listen to this show, because of course, yes, I had no idea that the coronavirus would ignite everything, but I've been warning about this day coming for over a year now. If you've been with me from the beginning, you've had a year to prepare, and if it wasn't this virus, it would have been something else, because the writing has been on the wall. There will be a lot of people who fall on hard times, 
in the coming weeks and months who weren't prepared for a rainy day. And I do, I empathize with them. I, I, that really sucks. I empathize with their situation, but it's hard for me to be sympathetic when deep down we all knew that losing your job was a real possibility, regardless of whether or not there was a virus. Good times don't last forever. We just went through technically the longest running bull market in history. How long did you think that could go on? You had 12 years of the lowest interest rates in the 10,000 year history of interest rates. Record low unemployment. Every possible amenity at your fingertips. A supercomputer in your hand. And while I realize that a lot of that prosperity was only on paper and it was phony. It was financed by debt. You squandered that time. You had your head in the clouds thinking the good times would, would, would last forever. Okay? You, were worried, you were arguing about microaggressions and safe spaces and transgender bathrooms. I mean, we're all going to learn a very important lesson here. At least I hope we are so that we don't have to go through this again in another 10 or 20 years. It's a lesson that we should, have, uh, we should have learned in 2001 and then again in 2008. And I wish it didn't come to this. I wish it didn't have to get this bad. And it didn't have to. You can thank your federal government for that. But here we are. This is a much-needed lesson. And hopefully everyone will come away from all of this with the knowledge and understanding to keep themselves and the ones they care about out of a similar predicament in the future. But you have to learn the proper lessons from all of this, and you have to understand what the real problems are. Capitalism did not cause these problems. These are all failures of socialism. Capitalism is the only real solution to them. Nothing these politicians are proposing. None of these solutions, not the universal basic income, or not stimulus checks, bailing out the airlines, bailing out the hotel industry, the banks, none of it is a real solution. It may seem like it on the surface. It may seem intuitive. Ah, people need money. Just give them some money. You know, it, it seemed like a good idea for doctors way back when to engage in bloodletting where they used to withdraw blood from sick patients thinking that it was the bad blood in their body that was making them sick. And the more blood they took, the sicker the patient got. And since they didn't understand what the real problem was, that what they were doing was not a cure for the sickness, but was actually making the patient sicker, every time they took more blood and the patient got sicker, their conclusion was, well, obviously, we just didn't take enough blood. Got to take some more. <laughs> so they'll get even sicker after they take some more blood. And, and then um, eventually you kill the patient. That's what's happening with all this monetary stimulus. It's making the economy sicker. And just the idea that we're going to pay a bunch of companies to stay open when there's no demand for what they're providing it's just an insane waste of resources. Just, I mean, you don't have to know much about economics. Just think about it, okay? I mean, wh why are we paying to bail out movie theaters if nobody wants to go to a movie? Uh, what's the point of that? It's just a waste. If nobody wants to fly on an airplane, what is the point of having a bunch of airlines? 
All right. And until there is demand for those things again, we don't need them. We shouldn't be squandering precious resources, propping them up. Okay. We'll still have all of the things. We'll still have the airplanes. We'll still have the movie theaters. We'll still have the hotels. And once there is demand for them, somebody, some entrepreneur who wants to make a profit will take, will buy those up for pennies on the dollar and they will run them more efficiently and better than the, the people who ran them into the ground up until today. We have to face the fact that we made a mistake, okay? And we have to realize that. 2008 didn't work. All of these bailouts, all the 0% interest rates, the quantitative easing, that was all predicated on it just being an emergency temporary measure. The fact that we're going back to all that proves that none of it worked, okay? We've made a mistake. And instead of reevaluating the problem and our proposed solutions to those problems, we've compounded them by making that mistake even bigger. We're doing the same things that caused the, the 2008 financial crisis, the same things that got us into the predicament we're in here now. Uh, we're doing them all over again on a much bigger scale. Okay, we've borrowed without saving. We've consumed without producing. And now we're going to do more of that. You, you can't, you just can't do that. That's not how life works. And we have all these Republicans who, you know, it, it's just hilarious to me that they're the one, they're the fiscally conservative ones, you know. They're all abandoning whatever principles they allegedly had because, well, this is desperate times, right? This is an emergency. Nobody could have seen this coming. I mean, this virus is the perfect excuse for them. It's just the perfect excuse for the government to not only absolve themselves of any responsibility, but they can use it to, to take anything that they want, to take more power, to relieve us of any of the rights that we have left. And they can say, you know, desperate times call for desperate measures. No, uh, desperate times d do not necessitate that you abandon your principles. That's when principles are most important. I mean, anybody can be principled when times are good and it doesn't cost you anything. But if it's wrong to do it when times are good, it's still wrong to do it when times are bad. We need to let these companies fail. We need to resist these bailouts, not because it's the easy thing to do, but because it's the right thing to do, both morally and economically. In fact, it's really the hard thing to do. The easiest thing to do is to inflate it all away, to create a bunch of money out of thin air and dole it out. That's the path of least resistance which is why it's the path that your politicians are going to lead you down. The coronavirus is just the excuse for that. It's the perfect excuse. Justifies every government overreach, all the stimulus. It's the perfect scapegoat for everything. It's the government's wet dream. Oh, nobody could have seen this coming. This is a once-in-a-century problem. None of this is our fault. It's just why we have to do all this stuff. Listen, my sister, one of my sisters uh, is a nurse, and she's... She's a little upset with me right now because she doesn't think I'm taking this uh, coronavirus thing too seriously. And while I will be the first one to admit that I didn't think it would ever get to this point, I, I definitely sort of poo-pooed this whole thing early on. But even if you take the, the doomsday scenario, worst case scenario of the coronavirus outbreak, whatever it is, million, a couple million people die by the end of the year or something like that. Well, I, I think it's only fair to take the worst-case scenario 
of the path that the government reaction is going to take us down. Because the worst case scenario of that is like North Korea. <laughs> okay? And to me, that is far worse than whatever the worst case scenario of this virus is. You're going to get a combination of Venezuela and communist uh, uh, China or something like that. So, uh, how many people died from communism? 100 million? Uh, okay, it's a little worse, don't you think? I mean, that's the worst case scenario. If we're going to go worst case scenarios, we have to compare apples to apples. I mean, they're they are stealing the means of production out from under us with these bailouts. We should be resisting this with every ounce of energy we have with arms if, if necessary, not welcoming it. They're going to print money, print money for free and buy up, buy up companies. That's what they're talking about doing. They're buying up stock in companies, corporate, corporate companies. They're buying up the means of production. Like I said on the last show, this is a backdoor into socialism. This is a socialist revolution. They're stealing the means of production from us. And people think it's a good idea. They're welcoming it because they think it's going to make their lives better. It won't. As bad as this coronavirus could be, that will be worse. I guarantee it. This is a monetary crisis. This is a sovereign debt crisis. This is all caused by the Fed. This is caused by Congress and government profligacy. More of that is not going to make your life better. It's going to make it worse. This is the destroyer of nations. All the things they've done in the last few decades to delay the pain, yeah, it worked for a while. But now that pain is going to be horrendous. And we have to deal with the consequences of that. And that doesn't mean that you just create more money out of thin air and give it to everybody. It's not a solution. It's more of the problem. Capitalism didn't create these problems, like I said. They're all a function of socialism, but capitalism is the only way that we can solve them. And we need to embrace capitalism now more than ever. We need to fall back on those principles of free markets now more than ever. It's the only way to get out of this alive. Unlike George Bush at the top of the show, now is not the time to abandon free markets to save the free market system. That's a bunch of nonsense. Free markets are the only way to build a real economy, and they're the only true solutions to the problems that we're facing. Turning over more power to the government, using the government printing press to give us everything that we desire in life, is not only the wrong thing to do, but it's dangerous. And if you value your comforts and your safety more than your liberty and your rights, you're going to lose all of the above. You'll lose your liberty, you'll lose your rights, and your comforts and your safeties will go by the wayside with them. A government that's big enough to give you everything that you want in life is a government that's big enough to take away everything that you have. So I'm going to wrap there, guys. Be principled. Remember, when times are tough, that's when your principles are the most important. Be safe, okay? Take this stuff seriously. I do not think that this whole coronavirus is like a conspiracy or, or like some hoax or anything like that, but I do think that they will take advantage of this, and God only knows how bad. I mean, if, if you think this is you know, the, the worst thing that's ever happened. Well, look back at the other major events and how much uh, liberty 
and freedom we lost as a result and how many problems from that government overreach resulted from it. And then project that onto what they're going to do in the wake of this current crisis. And that's where we're going to be. So be safe. Take this stuff seriously. Protect yourself. All right. Start making better life choices if you find yourself in a pickle. And if you like the show today, guys, do me a favor. Download and subscribe and share it with a friend. I know you know somebody out there who needs to hear this message because it seems like the entire world has lost their collective minds at this point. And we need to remember the, the important things that, that got us to where we are in life. So share this show. Follow me on Twitter at Pedal Fiction. And if you can do all that, I will be back later this week to do this all over again. Until then, just remember to keep on pedaling that so-called fiction. Peace.